Welcome to the podcast, everybody. A huge week for us. Our D&D show is now live. You can click the link in the description or maybe first comment, however we do that. Uh, the initial feedback is really good. I'm very happy with it. Uh, and I hope that you guys check it out. I'm very proud of a lot of it. And I want to talk, I guess, now about what I'm learning. I usually reserve this stuff for Patreon, but this is what my week has been consumed with. So I'll share with you a couple of things that might be useful in your life. First one, I've mentioned this on Patreon constantly, is... Uh, Learning to create space for myself and my work has been incredibly valuable. I think other people would benefit from this. It can feel very self-indulgent to protect and mandate things like walks without uh, my phone, or if I do have my phone, it's only playing Spotify music. Um, things like where I'll go to the Chinese foot spa and get a massage there, which has been where I've written most of the Charisma on Command videos that you've seen have been in those like that hour without my phone is where the interesting ideas coalesce and I work out the things that are contradictory and I say something beyond what you could read in Cosmo. It comes from that space that comes there. And very little, if any, of the most high-level work that I have done is actually done in front of the computer. That's where things get assembled, but like the design is when I create the space. So I'm trying to learn to do that more. Um, and another thing with D&D that didn't happen and I wasn't creating space was... I was right on top of the metrics, and I've talked about how the metrics have screwed me up and many creators up in the past. Watching minute by minute, is there a comment, is there a thing? Did the Charisma on Command video get enough views? Oh no, it didn't. It's not feeding this video the way that I hoped. Like the, uh, I've had a huge issue with this project that I need to adjust is I've had both feedback loops that are far too long, meaning that I've filmed these episodes sometimes months ago, worked on them privately, haven't gotten the audience involved because I'm trying to have a completed episode with everything with sound, 3D images, uh, two hours of cuts so you can check it out. So that's a very long feedback loop. And then the very short feedback loop is, okay, now it's live. Let's watch the real-time data as it rolls in and make adjustments and, and form opinions about what to do next based on the quality of the first comment. Um, so it's, it's something that I really need to adjust. And to that end, I'm going to do a couple of things going forward. One is I want to um, create a ton of time. I'm going to get a massage today to figure out if I can do this better. Step back and I think view this through the lens that I would um, someone else's business, which is it's much easier to look at someone else's thing. And one of the things that I would probably have them do is ask like the most general questions, like who is the audience, which I haven't exactly nailed down. And like, have you spoken to them? Do you know their habits? Do you have a customer avatar in mind for this? Um, so I might go to like Reddit, D&D forums, reach out to some people, see if I want to make it for them, or if I'm targeted more at a general YouTube audience, I've kind of split the difference. Um, I, have a, so, I have a question. Sure. When you're doing like these um, space creating activities, like taking a walk, getting a massage, how active is your brain? Or are you just being present in the moment and something arises? Or are you thinking like you were talking about, which is you're taking a step back? It depends. Some of them, they... I, I'm always surprised by the level of space that I get. Sometimes I get so much space that I go, oh my God, everything is perfect. You're, you're literally, you know, right now you'll be receiving a massage and just sink into the good feeling of that. Don't think about work at all. But what happens is an emotional release that sometimes creates more freedom to be creative when I get home. Mm. And there's not as much like what's next Monday's video. It's I'm creating from a place of everything is good. And then other times I, I, I can 
I will just have space to tactically ruminate on something. Like I remember I wrote the video on attachment styles when I was getting a massage and it's one that's got Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man as anxious attachment and Tom Holland's Spider-Man as, or sorry, he's anxious and Robert Downey Jr.'s avoidant. And I was able to like go through famous people in the universe and be like, does this guy fit? No, no, that guy doesn't break there. We still need the anxious avoidant type. Is there anxious and avoidant type? And I found Nebula as, as that person. Uh, who would be a secure type? Oh, Captain America. And I was able to like go through, but it wasn't just like I found these instantaneously. I tried on many different things, busted hypotheses, and it was a very tactical thought process that just wasn't interrupted by like doing email or researching about Iron Man as soon as I figured out that yeah, he was Yeah, so where the, was the moment of creativity that you were like, I'm going to do attachment styles of Marvel characters seems like the impetus to like... Yeah. Was that during the massage? I think it was. I think it was... Um, somebody walk. had said something about attachment styles. It was... I had seen that there was a videos discussing attachment styles that had done well and others that had failed and was asking myself like, it seems like a topic that when framed correctly interests people. Is there a charisma on command way to frame this topic such that it's interesting and engaging? I have something new or new angle on it to say. Um, and then other times, which is when I haven't taken a break, it's I'll just get, oh my God, like you're so stuck in the performance cadence of things, um, which is I think what I got more this week as I've taken space has been, dude, take a breath. You know, uh, that has come up. One of the things that I got was very valuable this week was that I have been projecting my own personal experience of not doing enough, or you could describe it briefly as shame onto my projects. So, and, and the pattern became clear to me, which is like, okay, there's not enough views. Okay. The feedback isn't positive enough. Um, and then I was asking myself, well, what if you got 10 times the amount of views? Well, that would feel okay, but then I'd be worried that the next one wouldn't get enough views. I was like, oh, wow, this like not enough kickball, which can seem very tied to the thing in front of me. Like, no, 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 this thing actually isn't working the way that I want it to. Um, even if I get what I want, which I have in my life and my first business in my, you know, a lot of the things, my brain will move to the next thing that isn't enough and hyperfixate on it. Um, and that as a process of my own shame of not being enough, of needing to do more, of, you know, not being able to relax, being projected on that, uh, came up strong. And so I'm very excited about D&D, not just because I like it as a story, but because it has been a spiritual challenge at every stage versus like I would describe the first business as a, self-help challenge which is like can I get my discipline together and can I do work every day and can I um, arrange my habits in a James Clear Andrew Huberman <laughs> habit stacking way like that was the challenge of the first business um, and obviously implicit in my creative process was a degree of like well you're definitely not enough like you're an unproven <laughs> you're an unproven unsuccessful uh, willing to reshape yourself completely down to like almost not all the way, but the only things that held were some of my most fundamental values. But I was like, I'll change my personality. I'll go from an introvert to an extrovert. Like I will change fairly fundamental things about myself in order to get the external result that I want. Yeah, that seems necessary. 
yeah, I don't regret it. I don't regret it. And that, that I could take that same, I know that I could take those same traits of discipline and all that kind of stuff and apply this to a new project and achieve material success. And what I would wind up with is the same type of a thing that I have now, which is, you know, I, it's great. It's, yeah. it's awesome. I'm trying to do something else though. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's been, uh, instructive constantly to what is the major difference between this project and the first one because it sounds like a self-exploration for the first one and then a teaching of to the mm -hmm. audience and this one has been uh feels different in the sense that um i'm more conscious of the underlying motives i think this time around i don't know that it is that different if i look at the first business what I would have told you I wanted was to like live an amazing life with like amazing friends and, and all that is true. But it was, there was also a huge degree, obviously in retrospective, like, please like me, please accept me. You know, like what is the personality that makes people like me? What do I have to do? Um, and a true willingness to like figure that out within, which I'm happy to say I was also in me, like within the bounds of my own moral system. Um, and now I'm aware of those motivators still present in me. And I feel like the first project was, um, achieve material success and get more people to like you. And the second project is let go of trying to, of some of the fuel that, that made the first project successful and see what happens letting go more, which is scary because I want to I want to grip onto these are the things that I know that I can do to create material success. Yeah, and one it seems like from our conversations, just <laughs> knowing you that this project was one that came up as like a pure kid's joy to create. And so there was never really like tied to material success at all. Well, Charisma on Command had that, in its incipient stages as well, which was really nice. It didn't even occur to me that I could yeah, yeah. succeed uh, meaningfully. Like I was just like, I'll just live abroad for $2,500 a month for the rest of my life. And that would be a huge, a huge success. Yeah. yeah. Um, this one is in some ways it's real. It's, it's, um, I don't think it's fair to say that I've gone backwards, but it, at first glance, I've asked myself this question. I've gone, well, what what led to the relaxed freedom that you felt back then that is actually not present today when you have even more of the physical security around you that you would like? So, for instance, like, Ooh. I didn't feel nearly as much pressure. And, I mean, I remember going to bed with $200 in the bank, and it didn't take me more than five minutes to fall asleep. Like, it just was – there was a – underlying understanding that it was like if this fails i just go back to my crappy job work for another two years and then and try, try again. again and if that fails i fail and i try again and i fail and i try again and for some reason this one feels like a limited time offer which is of course me imposing something on the project is this because you've crossed 30 years old no i could if perhaps unconsciously i have um it feels like because that first one felt singularly, obviously Ben and I did it together, but it was like, this is a plan that does not require other people's buy-in. It was like, um, 
just keep failing and trying and failing and trying. And this new one, which is what is joyous and thrilling and I think expansive about it, is it does require the team's buy-in in order to succeed. Like, I cannot will this one to succeed without uh, several talented people on camera, behind the camera, etc. Not to say the Charisma on Command doesn't have that, but it was like, I can write the script, which I did, edit the videos. Appear you know in the I video mean? by like, yourself. Appear in the video, and if that's his work, it was, it was blog posts at first, which is like, I don't have an editor, I don't have any of these things. Um, so it felt very uh, within my control. But I also think uh, that's... That's a crutch. And it will help you really, really well. Yeah. From like zero to, I said this in the last one, mm-hmm. like zero to 10 million for the Alex Armozi fans out there mm-hmm. is going to be a business that you build around yourself. And then anything after that is going to have to rely yep. upon people. And anything after what he says after a hundred million is, you know, you're managing people's uh, expectations and egos. Like you're in the business, zero to 10, you're doing everything. 10 to fucking a hundred is like, I don't even know what the mm-hmm. stages are. And then after that, it's literally like, can you feel out? which person's energy is good to yeah. put in the CEO role of your giant Jarmus uh, nine-figure company. Yeah, and I think the emotional, personal challenge, which I'm eager to take on with this, is that the need to... Um, the people to whom I feel most responsible are you, Tim, you know, the players and the people with that I am working with that are very... That are very um, talented that I'm trying to keep and there's a sense of uh, I think projected onto that like please the, I think the please like me shame is being projected onto those relationships which is please let me do enough to um, justify your giving of your self to this is there any similarities that just occur to my brain for like playing sports growing up or team sports are you showing up in the same way? You no, I wasn't dominant in team sports. I understood my my role was I was the sixth, fifth or sixth of 10 draft picks. And I just, if I could be average and not turn the ball over, that was that was sufficient. Um, I think it's, it's kind of like this. It's like if I was a first round pick on one of those teams, I think I would have felt a tremendous amount of, of pressure to, you know, deliver at that level. And I think coming in the first time, there was no, picks it was you know ben and i made uh, a decision ben had a ton There's of not money. even a draft or anyone else yeah he, just... he and and he had a ton of money it was like he was gonna be fine you know yeah. what i mean like the person that i had extended the furthest was myself and it was like i could absorb the the Backlash. pain and the hit and and all that stuff could could fall more comfortably on me and i do feel afraid of um wasting or jeopardizing because i did i gave impassioned speeches to you, you know, like yeah, yeah. I, I just gonna fucking work. <laughs> yeah, I've I've extended myself in a way that, and this is something that was different. Charisma on command. I never posted on Facebook. I never posted on Instagram. I never asked a single friend or family for a dime or yeah. a recommendation. I said this is built from zero, and I'm not going to use social capital. And that is not totally true of this new project, which is like I have I've put my my social credit card down on this to a degree. And I feel that pressure. Um, it's interesting. Uh, we both did something that required no social capital. Mm-hmm. And uh, like 
so many businesses that are ginormous, you really have to put your your name on it mm. and like be like, this is my reputation. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking of like, you know, we talked about Face Clan last week. It's like all these businesses that somehow get giant evaluations are just like, this is going to work because my name and I have a track record of it and uh, you should invest now and give me all your money and then we'll build something later. Yeah. And it's like a lot of them turn out to be duds. Um, but geez. And, and there's a subtlety in what I've learned, which is um, that I think I need to lean further into, which is I, yeah, I, I'm so aware of the fact that I was like, put my, my hat in the ring. I said, you know, hang our relationship, which I don't think anybody would, but like on this, like, trust me, if I've earned trust, I'm, I'm withdrawing that in this interaction. Believe in this thing that you don't have good reason to believe in other than my conviction. Um, and what I've been afraid of that I have to lean into, and I think this is the spiritual expansion, is like, and also, when you say you're in, you're making a commitment to me as well and to this thing as well. And to, without being aggressive, mean, or demanding of people, be like, hey, I want more more from you, more help. Like, yes, I asked you to join so that you could join, you know, like, and not necessarily in a limited employee this is my job description way, but like in a broader, if we're in this and if we're doing this, uh, let's, let's do it yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of way. Um, and so instead of just falling back on shit, what, what more can I give to do the more difficult thing of like, yes, I did ask. And this is something that happened with Brazil round one, which is I kind of did Ben and I both, we're like, we're going here and it's going to be great. And like, we're going to Brazil and you guys should come. And I know that we both felt at that time responsible for, for people. The, we felt responsible when they didn't get the girls that they liked or if they didn't have the experience that they wanted. Yeah, you're or like tour they, guides. And we, yeah. And, and it took a long time to reflect on that scenario and recognize like, oh, wow, I was behaving like a dad when it yeah. was like, yeah, I told you to come, but like, you made the decision, you know, and I have been in subtle ways that I think people can get very comfortable with, like infantilizing people. And um, that's perhaps too strong a word, but like um, just double, triple overtime working rather than saying, okay, now that we're, you're here, like this is your experience. And and if it's yeah, not it's right a different, for you. It's a different between an invite to join me and, a, and uh, like uh, the tour guide experience. Yeah. Um, in business and in, in yes, like, I invited you because this place is awesome. You can come enjoy it mm -hmm. versus like, I'm going to be taking you to all the restaurants and hosting you and making sure that your happiness, uh, leads to my okayness, mm -hmm. um, in that very like codependent yes. manner. Um, yes. And so there's a lot of subtle, um, subtle stuff for me to get around those lessons, which I'm very grateful to for this whole thing for teaching me because what has happened and we'll talk more about it concretely in the Patreon is that when I do take the space inevitably what I'm like is oh my god like I'm doing a lot of other people's jobs instead of stepping back and saying you know we worked on this together we've worked on the video edit style that we want I've corrected you several times you've got to now own this and send me a finished product that doesn't need my constant things. And I can give you guidance and I can help you with the design of the most important elements of it. But 
Now this is on you, and if it's and if it can't be trusted to be held by you, what's on me is to replace you and get you know yep. someone else. Yep, and yep. Uh, I do feel like I've learned that. I'll share in Patreon more. I've been able to go through and like sort of highlight the roles in the most the highest leverage things that our video editor can do, our sound person can do, we can do as players, Tim can do as a DM. Like I feel like I've really started to isolate what is driving the value in this thing as we've now finally gotten some feedback. And it was like... Yeah, so how do you get to that stage just to wrap this up? How do you get to that stage prior? Because like... I should have gotten... I should have gotten more people's eyes on it early. I should have... I mean, forget it. I, I should have won. Who is this for? Answered that question. Is this for people who already watched three D&D streams? Okay, so I have a business idea. Mm -hmm. And it's going to take me six months to make. And I'm going to get my friends. You, First thing I do is... you, And this is... I, I know this when you asked me, but I didn't do it myself. Your business idea is not enough. Who is the customer? But I like my... <laughs> I like it and I want to yes, do it. Yes, this is everybody. They get emotionally attached to the thing they want to make, myself included. Okay, I like if, it and I want to do it. I'm going to spend six months. Okay, fine. Who is it for? Me. It's for people like you. Yes. So then now you got to go, okay, do you have friends like you like that have the share the important commonalities as you? You need to find 10 to 20 of those people and go do an interview. And you need to ask them the basics, their age, their... Uh, their, you know, where they spend time on the internet. Around charisma, what we ask is which of these words most resonates with you? Confidence, lifestyle design, charisma, uh, social, mastery. What, and we, we had a list, and that was where charisma on command came from. Because charisma, I didn't, I didn't know it, was the one that surged to the top amongst the customers that we wanted. One of the issues that we had at the beginning was we were just making dating advice for anyone who would take it. And when you make dating advice in 2013 for anyone will take it, you get the people struggling tremendously who are some of the people that have the hardest time seeing positive results because they are lacking the fundamental like human to human things that unfortunately they didn't get in their very early childhood. Also your pricing. And so now I'm speaking to this audience that I've been locked into because I haven't been intentional about what I describe my product as. When I went instead to my roommates and their friends and I said, what are you looking for? They didn't say they wanted dating advice. They wanted charisma. And that subtle shift allowed me to talk about dating advice to an audience that was going to benefit from it much more tremendously and be happier with it and be able to pay more and make it more viral and all those kinds of things. So this is something that I didn't do the first time. Like everyone, I focused on what I wanted to make on my product and didn't go, who is this for? Yeah. Um, and I'm starting to get that, but I still need to do that that work to be like, and the fundamental question I think with the D&D &D is, is this for someone who has watched three D&D &D streams or is this for someone who has not watched any? Yeah. Um, I think while I, and it's okay for both of them to like it, but the target and the audience can be and should be different. It could like, be people who just watch stream video games. Yes. And so I need to figure out who I want to make it for. Who's who? And it's like, who do you really enjoy making stuff for <laughs> is, is part of it. Um, and so like, yeah, some of the people that have most enjoyed it, I want to know who they are. Yeah. Um, and therefore where they are on the internet, what, what kinds of things I should make, what I should title it, how to promote it, who I, you know, who to include in the next thing, what kinds of things they most liked, all of that stuff. So, yeah, that's not fun though. So yeah, it's not fun. Go back to doing what I want to do. <laughs> yeah, what I want to do is just make a show and not think about any of that. And then, well, then you pay when it's frustrating and it doesn't do as well as you'd like it yes. to do. Um, so yeah, and that was, and the one other thing that I mentioned before, which I will just reiterate is I've had this realization before. If you ever feel like there's not enough views, money, um, time, 
you know, it's a, it's a worthwhile exercise to ask, which I think is generally true, if that is not an inner projection onto an external thing. Um, there's been times where, like, shit, there's not enough time to do this. There's not enough time to do this. And if you dig into it, it's like, well, there's not enough time to do this in the quality that I think I need to for people to respond to it or for me to feel good enough about the effort that I did so that I can feel good, which is a way of saying that there's this, um, this will actually move me to the next topic, I believe what's happening deeply is there's a feeling of not being enough inside of you, inside of me, that is overwhelming. Mm-hmm. It's so overwhelming that it needs to be repressed, and it can only be experienced as occurring outside of you. There's not enough time. There's not enough views on this video. There's not enough money in the bank because that is a much more psychologically safe way to address a devastating internal feeling yeah. of not being enough. And then you find yourself doing reactionary then, yes. activities you spend your whole life moving from one thing that isn't enough to another thing that isn't enough with these brief periods of, oh, well, I got that thing to be enough. Uh, and the cycle continues and continues and continues. So how come we've talked about this before? Unless there's anything you wanted to add or say. No, I'm good. Uh, I'll wrap this. Uh, I've talked about J.K. Rowling's podcast in previous episodes. You're basically an expert now. I'm an expert. Um some of the things that I've mentioned that are really consolidating as I listened to the final episode were that she really does care tremendously about women and girls to the relative exclusion of men and boys. Um, what does that mean? She, all of the, so, I mean, I'll give you a couple. She understands that, you know, women are, uh, that women are an oppressed class is, is a foundational belief of hers. Um, Women are the only group, this is a quote, that are being asked to embrace members of their oppressor class with, with no caveat, um, meaning like women are expected to, I don't know, uh, share space with men or whatever, that sort of thing. Um, and when I listen to her, her like, she wants to prevent um, trans, uh, trans women from coming into women's spaces like you know, women's bathrooms. And there's other spaces where I agree, like, this makes more sense. Um, but that one in particular, she's she will dig her heels in and say, uh, well, you know, most assaults of women occur in unisex spaces. And she's got all these, like, stats that just don't, if you were to point and go, that doesn't necessarily imply that you're saying that opening this up to trans women, which is already happening, is going to create more assaults. Well, there was one in Scotland where a four-year-old goes, you know, it's just like, she's hyper- fixated on women and girls abuse and also understands which is frustrating for me as someone who has had issues with men in the past that men are an oppressor class of women uh and she says that women are the only class this has pissed me off personally that are being asked to embrace members of their oppressor class and it's like if you understand what like any man who has ever been assaulted by another man who has to share a bathroom with a man who has ever been, I don't <laughs> like know. like what do you think happens in male prisons about to say like this this but it, it's this blindness it's well it's the lack of nuance which probably is frustrating because it's such a uh generalization that can easily be poked holes through. well i so i was i was going how does she and you can hear the edge in her voice when these topics come up arise and i was like how is this happening because i do generally see her as a as a after listening i believe she's good faith i believe she's trying her best i believe she's a careful thinker and i think that everybody like that when you are afraid and or living in a fear-based trauma response, uh, can 
distort things and will stubbornly defend those distortions. Maybe that's your glasses that you're wearing when you look at her. Maybe. And then actually you think everyone <laughs> has fear-based trauma response glasses on. <laughs> yeah. And this is, to be clear, I, I only can say this based on my own experience. Yeah. Um, this, the story of narcissists has a cool ending where the guy says at the very end, but maybe people always look at narcissists and think, well, he's so um, obsessed with himself and that's disgusting and it's a... You shouldn't aspire to that. And maybe actually you reading the story, looking at the guy, wanting him to be more like you and not look at himself <laughs> is actually the narcissist. Well, um, well, yes, the superiority that you get you in condemning. Yeah. yeah, and it's uh, just like an interesting, like I just read that. I was like, what a sick motherfucker staring at himself all day. Like, oh, geez, no, he's not like me. And I have a problem with that. Like, why do I care? Yeah. Um, narcissism is a trap in that... Uh, I do think it's like a very widely held, you can call it disorder, but it's so functional in today's society that it's like, I do think, I think, I think it occurs on a spectrum and I think most people have a healthy, not a healthy, a fair amount of it. Um, as, as a tool that works well. Is that what you're saying? As a way of functioning in the world, um, you can call it a tool that works well, but yeah, I believe that most people struggle to view, so I'll come back to Jacob Rowling, I guess, but with narcissists, there's differences in how people define narcissism based on their their understanding of the world whether they're talking about the greek myth narcissist this psychological disorder or just like a general type of person um, my favorite is when uh someone goes oh they're a narcissist and they're psycho <laughs> that's my favorite yes so i think that one uh is people talk about that about like most people mean very Selfish. self-obsessed and vain in terms of their physical looks or accomplishments, that they are self-aggrandizing in an obvious way. When I say narcissism, I generally am referring to a much more subtle um, inability to interact with others without reference to yourself. So this is, and, I, and I, I've only gotten out of this, like it's kind of like fish in water. I'd say I have like probably a handful of minutes or hours over the course of my entire life where I've gotten out of this space long enough to go, holy shit. <laughs> that was extremely narcissist, what I just did. I was, and everyone and is. Like, it, it's so common. Um, but I'll give you an example, like, between you and I. you would, If you shared a problem in your life with me, I would get angry. I'd be like, this is fucking insane. Not at you. I'd get angry at the person or the thing. Um that was a narcissistic response because I was unable to make, to allow your problem to exist in you as a thing that you had to be with you without taking it on, making it about me, letting it trigger something inside of my shit that needed to go out and defend and protect Ooh, you. Yeah. And then the words you would say would be things that were supposed to be helpful to me. But they were yes, really and I would a, give you originally. advice that was referential to me and my rage at this, so that really the problem that I was solving was not your problem. It was the problem of the rage that I felt at your um, being taken advantage of or whatever, which was a me thing because you weren't experiencing rage. You were experiencing sadness. Um, and I've been able to increasingly step back from those situations and feel that self-referential part come up in me and sink in and be like, I can be with me and 
create a little container around my experience and clear that out, which allows the other person to have an experience that can be subtly or dramatically different from the one that I would impose upon them if I were to intervene in there. Does that make sense? Yeah, I just, um, I feel now, I feel they're stretching the term narcissism. That's uh, just how I use it. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, <laughs> fine. Yeah, cool. I guess, sure, it's, I understand. If you want to just mean like people who are generally active on Instagram and are incapable of forming relationships with other people and abuse them in obvious ways, what I notice is that that leads to, that thing that I described, leads to all of the same outcomes but as a lesser degree. Like I am still subtly um, abusive in our relationship in that in making it about me, I stand in the way of mm, you getting the healing it. that you need. Um, and uh, it, it, I do think, is of a lower quantity but of the same quality as the other kind of narcissism, which is so much more overt and obvious, but I really do think they're the same quality, which is I cannot help but structurally in my consciousness get emotionally involved and make things about myself. Uh, it just is, it is the way through which I view the world and I cannot conceive of a different way yeah. of doing it. I have, that makes me confused because I had, uh, while working at the nightclub, a lot of the women there would talk about their days and then would each just state what <laughs> they did each day, yeah. but seemed to have very great bonding and like very closeness in, in on I guess on the surface level, they'd be like, oh my God, my day was so hard today. I got stuck in traffic. The other girl would be like, that reminds me, my dog, it w had a stomach ache and threw up all over the house. And then she'd say, and my boyfriend's bothering me. Another girl would go, <laughs> and then the dog just kept throwing up. I had to vacuum it and then threw up again. And there seemed to be <laughs> no like- Connecting. Connecting. Yeah. But <laughs> great. just people triggering them to talk about a thing that that reminds them of in there. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think that I do think that there can be such a thing as a as a non narcissistic interjection in an, in an interaction like that. And what I've found personally is when I'm feeling through these things is that there's this surface level of like, oh, I want to chime in. Oh, I want to share or say something. Um, and then deeper is a more deep knowing of like, am I, is my sharing a gift of connection to this person or is it a taking of the reins? And you can trick yourself about this. And I have, I think, when I'm really paying close attention, I, I need a lot of like fucking space and brain power to do this and heart power. Um, I can start to tell the difference now and I can hold back bite my tongue and then other times I go oh no this is this is for the other person this thing that I'm saying this is not just to redirect towards me um and it, I could be talking about myself I'd be like that does remind me of me but it is a it is a gift of connection as opposed to a you come to me if that makes sense no it does it makes perfect mm -hmm. sense um yeah reframes what I experienced too because they it's possible that both are true that these two girls that I'm watched interact were sharing in the pain of mm -hmm. struggle and uh i doubt frustration it. <laughs> and you said it yeah yeah and i mean that's not what was happening okay <laughs> totally agree i went to the nightclub too. yeah i know <laughs> i know what's going they on. just talk fast two yeah. ships passing in the night just yeah. fucking jabbering i've done the same thing yeah you you laugh at me with uh my girlfriend and i talk we just fucking yeah <laughs> yeah two separate conversations with yes. with who will be stronger to 
to <laughs> control the, the frame. One. Yes, come to them. Yes. Uh, talk about the thing that they so want. So I got about. you off the JK Rowling because I talked about narcissism. Yeah. So I, what I've what I'm trying to understand, I think she's a thoughtful, sweet, kind, compassionate person who is nonetheless so misunderstood. So, do you actually think that? I think she's so attached, and I, I'll tell you why, to women and girls that she is excluding. If she here's the sort of the thing that is implicit. If she can save one woman or girl from getting assaulted in a bathroom by a trans person, she would cause uh, the suffering of all the trans people to save like one woman or girl. Because, and I think the question that you're and asking by suffering, you mean not allowing them into a bathroom and having any sort of she just spends she, a lot she would of time just not even look at it. Okay, she spends a lot of time women worried about women and girls, which is absolutely her prerogative, and not a lot of time worried about people. <laughs> like yeah. or creatures even and you know what i mean there's like you know where you draw your sphere says a lot about you hers goes around women and girls to it now that's not to say she wouldn't care about her husband or her son and not that she doesn't care about men but when you bump up against that in my opinion which is not knowing her but listening to her and hearing the edge in her voice is that She's got this unprocessed trauma around being domestically abused by her husband. She understands, and I think people do this. Like, I know someone who was um, who was sucker punched and beaten by a black guy. Um, and also, like, you know, saw crime by black people, which uh, led to racism in, in him. Uh, J.K. Rowling has suffered at the hands of men. And I think what can happen is you can get this low-resolution safety thinking where you go this class of person and then you can do it with the Jews or you can do it with whatever you want you know this class this is the Kanye West a couple guys that he feels mistreated by yeah now, now it's all it of the them. entire society no he, he takes this entire group and says that this entire group is the issue yeah. and so JK Rowling understands that men are the oppressor class of women without asking her the self the question is like but wait a second men all the she can tell you the stats of sexual crime and sexual this and all of the stats she has women are victims eighty eight percent of the time except that men die sooner than women they are the victim of violence more often than women they are the victims of assault and pre like there's she she's interested where women are the victims that is her where they're the primary cause of concern and I believe that that is coming from inside of her my guess and I've seen and I say this because I see these sort of things arising in me you're a victim of trauma or something happens to you, you do not fully process that trauma. You then create rules about the world that are broad-spanning, low-resolution rules. These rules keep you safe, and they might have a real foot in reality, which is like, you know, you live in a dangerous area, don't walk on the side of the street as the person who's got gang colors, and you know what I mean? But that doesn't mean that the color blue is bad. And you can add whatever skin color or, or race or gender or anything that you want to that to, to make it make sense. But they, you draw these broad rules to keep yourself safe about groups of people. Um, and then you see it everywhere. And the way that J.K. Rowling cares about women and girls is seems to me to be a personal identification with that group that she does not share with the out group. Meaning like, it is much easier for her to identify with the plight of a woman or a girl than it is to identify with the plight of a man, even if they suffer in the same way, even if they were both molested. Mm -hmm. To the, like the same physical encounter, 
she is locked in is my impression from listening to her uh, and her rhetoric and <laughs> and her po- and her politics yeah uh, about that and I think that uh I see why it makes sense. I get it. I think it is much harder and not always advised to try to go through the world. One of the nice things about MDMA is it is it lets you sort of examine some of the heuristics and the rules that you have made about whatever, you know, this type of person, which can be not just based on skin color or it can be based on anything, uh, and ask yourself if that is always true or if these rules, these broad-spanning rules are just there to protect you from the overwhelming fear that you feel being triggered inside of you about a very particular situation right. in your past. Um, it was interesting. A friend told me he did ayahuasca, and one of the things that he said is he realized he loves surfing. He said that he has been, uh, despite his love of surf and feeling connected whenever he's out there in the ocean, that he dissociates and disconnects on the lip of the wave. The part of the wave where you tilt down and you rush into it and it's going really fast, he says that he has dissociated from that moment and instead has built a mental model in his head of how waves work. And he disconnects, goes black for a second, and then comes back online in the smoother part of the ride wave and then feels connected. And as, after ayahuasca, he went out and surfed and was able to connect and be present through the rush of fear at the edge of the wave wow, and the present acknowledgement of not being able to perfectly model control this situation, which is like, and that's from getting wiped out and hurting yourself. Like imagine if, if somebody you love beat you, imagine the disconnection that would occur. You would have around men. You would have around men. Or family <laughs> yeah, like, members. Yes, or or situations in the dark or things like that. I mean, that's not just like, that's from falling off of a wave and hurting yourself a couple yeah. of times. Uh, and I think that we, we were chatting, he and I, that there is this, um, the way that most people heal is bypass, is to say like- function. The way that I got over my fear of rejection was, well, again, 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 and I drilled until I was dissociated. <laughs> I, I, I just drilled until I was dissociated, and it was like, I could do this in my sleep. I don't need to be here. <laughs> in fact, I'm not here. I'm like, I turn off. I'm, I turn off. I am not present for the scariest part of this interaction, and I, and I click back in later on in the interaction, and that's a very functional way. People responded pretty freaking well to it, you know? Yeah. Now- the and and you cannot change that your whole life if you're not careful. Um, what is instead to be deeply present through the fear and the rush of the wave or the, of that first thing or the um, you know fear of this D and D thing working not working in the way is uh, I think that most people learn to push through fear by disconnecting from it and don't actually do the much slower work, which we are all ashamed of how long it takes us to remain present in the face of fear. Um, and I, and I can point to a ton of areas in my life where I have, I mean, it, it is the playbook that we have for how to work through fear is yeah. you, you disconnect and do it. 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 And then you can do it. And then it doesn't scare you at all. Yep. But you don't realize that you have trained a lack of presence. Yeah. Um, and I almost respect more people who are better at disconnecting in some senses. Like, uh, 
who've gone to work for five or 10 years yeah. and you're like, they've disconnected. They've, they know they share that yeah. like shut down for 10 years. And like, now we, we turn back on for the weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't, it frustrates me that people that say this is the way the world works when they haven't spent years <laughs> disconnecting mm-hmm. and they want to make rules about how the government is run. Um, say that again. So, uh, like I'm thinking of like 18 year olds getting up on campus and saying we need to change the laws in drastic ways because they gone to school for four months and mm-hmm. learned some new way rules about oh history. and they haven't had to go through and the mentality of work to just get through to it. disconnect to just get through <laughs> it and just want the weekend and uh yeah. well i don't think that's the only thing that's happening there i, I think know it's multivaried but. there's there's ways to avoid the experience of reality and one of them is by telling other people that they have to fix the situation that makes you afraid we have to make the wave smaller you know yes. what i mean like yeah, yeah. you know like okay like you're you're on to something that this is a scary thing that you maybe we shouldn't have to close our eyes and push through like whatever the monotony of a corporate job you know and you don't like maybe this is something we don't want um but also there is a and i and this is the thing bypass is necessary to survive in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that it's like a huge failure of society that we have trained bypass because I think if you attend to the emotion with the slowness that it often needs to be attended to, you like, you know, you don't evolve into the society that we have. You die or you fall behind or you, yeah. uh, you know, nurse these. You never come out of the cave. Yeah. Um, now what they do talk about is that the things that humans don't do, and this is kind of like the waking the tiger book thing, which is if you like, um, my dog's barking at the door. He's freaked out. He's screaming. I come in and he does, I, I interrupt it. I say, stop it. I pick him up and I just hold him. And he knows that when I'm holding him, he can't do it. And he locks up. And I put him on the ground. And he's, got to, he's got to shake off the energy that I had locked inside of him. And you see like a deer or something when they're frightened after they get away, they they do this like, thing where they they shake the energy off and they actually they they can be interrupted can be paused but do come back to that energy and release it constantly um and if they don't you can get neurotic animals you know what i mean like you can get animals that are okay, constantly so, hanging so on I'm to a little it. bit lost so i understand that dynamic so what's the book about and the book is about how people don't do that oh. the book is about how when i walked up to the girl and got really terrified and shut down and disconnected I didn't walk away and go, and, and, <laughs> and allow the fear to wash over me and be like, oh, thank God. You know, I, I didn't let it in. I yes. didn't, and I just, and I did that. And I did it again and again and again and again and again in a million areas of my life yeah. to the point where you go, I'm not afraid. Yeah. I'm not afraid. I'm, I'm present. I'm, you know, but you're not. Yeah. And uh, so it is not that you should never skip or bypass or disconnect. Disconnecting is a tool, but if there is, no space or encouragement for the reconnecting to. And that's that's what MDMA therapy or parts therapy or a lot of things is. It's like, dude, you got 30, 40, 50, 60 years of not going back and doing that little shake that my dog does when he's bothered. Um, yeah. And that adds up to like a seemingly insurmountable task to sort itself through. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, the belief is it gets stored somewhere in your psyche or your body. And I, I well, I don't know if that's 100% true. I think that it's directionally accurate so you know jk shake it off dude shake it off um people always call me when i'm having podcasts dude i'm not popular until i'm filming See, uh who called you a couple people that just won't be my friend me too 
Same. Um, yeah, so I talked about that. Oh, this is with the other, this was one other thing from the J.K. Rowling. Um, I don't like this. There was a statement that she said vulnerable groups are being harmed. And the, the other side, which was, uh, you know, the trans community talks about vulnerable groups being harmed. Okay. And I do get the sense that a vulnerable group, a vulnerable group being harmed is worse than a non-vulnerable group being harmed. Where the game that is played is it's all around the definition of who falls into marginalized or vulnerable. And then the harm of anything else can be excluded. And so the game that, that she's playing is, well, the vulnerable group of women is being harmed. And the trans community responds, well, the vulnerable group of trans people is being harmed. And nobody's willing to go like, how does this policy affect people on both sides? Can we, can we step back and just like see the net impact of uh, allowing trans people to go into the uh, jail that they identify as or to the bathroom that they identify it's as? It's a sneaky adjective to put that it's in. Sneaky. The, it's sneaky. It's very one of those, sneaky. It's so sneaky because it, it, like, who cares? The statement people are being harmed mm -hmm. is sufficient I, who cares if they're vulnerable? If they are being harmed, there's a problem. It would it would be a problem if the non-vulnerable because you're marginalizing were being the marginalized. Harmed. If the non-marginalized are being harmed, that's just as bad. And what you get now, unfortunately, I think, is this: these terms were intended originally to point to a group of people whose harms had been overlooked in the past. Where you go, look, this is this vulnerable group. They constantly get stepped on, and nobody's counting. So that's a vulnerable group because nobody's counting. But if we are going to do the counting, which I don't think is happening in this case, like it becomes a way to exclude, you get to first define who your vulnerable group is, and then you get to exclude other people because we got to protect the vulnerable group. We got to protect it. the marginalized group. Um, and uh, I think that that's a bummer. It's, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's a bummer. And it colors how, I mean, it's like JK... Rowling sees this trans issue as one of misogyny and it's like the idea of a trans man isn't really even spoken to or addressed in the, in the entire thing, even though it's important um, because the vulnerable people, the, you know, her, her particular interest in women is overriding uh, the consideration outside of that sphere of concern is what I see or, and it's not, not totally overriding it is just relative like this counts for more her demand is that we protect this more these vulnerable people and then they argue about who's the most vulnerable and they go back and forth citing stats not directly to each other but it's just like you hear the the tenor of the argument is who's in more danger and it's uh i sincerely believe that both groups deeply believe they are in danger this is the last thing that i wanted to say is that uh this was an interesting thing that there was, a, there was a discussion of power. Um, ContraPoints is on the podcast. Uh, do you know who ContraPoints is? I do. Uh, YouTube creator who is a trans woman um, with, I believe, a philosophy background. I don't know, but makes really good videos. Um, says that trans people generally in society have, like, very little power. And uh, the one power that they do have is lashing out on Twitter. And so that's what they do. And as I reflected on this, I was... I was like, I do, it seems totally plausible to me that trans people feel, and may, maybe rightfully so, have very little local power. They can't make their dad or their mom accept them in the way that they hope. They can't get the, the medication that they may feel that they want. They can't uh, make their social community accept them. 
uh, but they seem to have very outsized power on the internet. Meaning, like, to make a rich person apologize, just, I don't know how I would do that. <laughs> like, like where I, I don't know what I would do I would, in order to um, make J.K. Rowling respond to me and my group's interests. I don't know how I could possibly do that. And so there's this imbalance, which I think is un- unfortunately as a result of, I think if these people had and felt more local power, you would see less internet uh, power. And it's, and it's like almost one follows the other. It's like when you don't feel power over your local life, your ability to dictate how you feel, how the people around you treat you, et cetera, you take to the internet and or a community for the form same a thing. community and for- can and and can be part of mobs in some time that demand apologies or demand changes and there is well you go there to get what you're not getting locally why yeah and i think it's safe to say that there is it's tough to point to any you know other than the richest people in the world to any 0.6% of the population that have as much internet power as trans people do um, as much power to make someone apologize to be represented in a film or a thing or to uh, get the academy to react in a certain way a group that small, which is like, I point to like guys with micro penises. <laughs> it doesn't Same seem to doesn't seem to be able to get people to stop making small dick jokes ever. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not banding together. They are definitely a group of people that have been teased, mocked, hurt. Uh, I'm sure feel a deep amount of shame. And uh, it's interesting that, yeah, what what I, my guess would be among other things, the lack of local power creates the push to. Uh, exercise it on the Can internet. Can you read the sentence again? Because was were those contrapoints word? Because I thought the framing was an interesting framing as well. Or is this your summary of the? Of um, I just wrote contrapoint says, I, I that's close to a quotation, but it's something like that they have little or no power, and the the one power that they have is lashing out on Twitter. That is a, not verbatim, but close to. Yeah. It ex. Yeah. Okay. Sentiment. It explains. It explains. Some of it. And, and she was saying, so that's what they do is they, you know, they go on on Twitter and they lash out. And that's exactly what it is when somebody feels contained in one area of life. That's the word they lash out. They find a weak, they find one area where that pent up energy uh, can effectively go and they strike out in that direction. Yes. Um, and. And yeah. people aren't seeing the, it's also important, the, the audience isn't seeing the containment that's unfair uh, in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're seeing maybe the lash out on Twitter and think and drawing a conclusion that this person is uh, doing crazy things and saying crazy things and mean things and forming a mob, but that's because you're not seeing the contained part of their life where they're... Uh, well, and, and there are. I mean, one, there's that contained part of their immediate life, which I actually think that's the highest. If you could, um, as God, change one thing, you could change the laws that are being passed about trans people, or you could change the rel- the level of acceptance they have in their immediate 50-person community. I suspect that that one would be the more meaningful yeah. for the wider majority of trans people. Not to say that they that the laws aren't deeply upsetting and something that um, they would still want to have an impact on, but that would be my guess is that that is the source of deepest pain is your immediate circle of um, people around you. Yeah. Um, speaking of laws, I saw that, uh, I think it was Idaho, I don't know if it's going to go through, is going to pass, or maybe uh, the first <laughs> proposed 
uh, abortion trafficking laws, which is to say that if you, there would be penalties for leaving the state in order to get an abortion. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it makes sense if you, this is a problem. There's one group of people that thinks that you are murdering children and another group of people that thinks that you are expressing this most simple form of bodily autonomy. And, uh, Murdering children, you can't you can't do this that goes, across state borders. <laughs> yeah, this goes back to uh, J.K. Rowling's most vulnerable class. Because if you believe that fetuses mm-hmm. at a certain weak age are babies, that they would be the most vulnerable <laughs> and most abused. And but yeah, it's it's a finding a middle ground on this is there. There is no middle ground between murdering children and the most basic form of bodily autonomy. It, like, it, where do we compromise? Um, if somebody told me that every time that I had sex, I was murdering, or like one-tenth of the times that I had sex, I was murdering children, and we tried to find a compromise on the level of law that we would want for oh, that, God. we would not be able to find a compromise because we have a fundamental disagreement about what is occurring. Yeah, um, Yeah, man, and I don't know... I guess what you do, like, how does democracy deal with that? How does a democracy where, say, people are 50-50, fairly interspersed in this thing, handle that sort yeah. of a question? Or even if it's 40-60, like, uh, how do you handle such fundamental differences of opinion? Because um, this isn't a live-and-let-live situation, which is like, well, you go do what you want to do, and I'll go do what I want to do. It's, it's, I know that, because, you know, I know that the people that are pro-choice would absolutely want laws that stopped another group of people from like murdering six-month-old infants. They wouldn't. They would want that law. Um, and if the other group of people said, "No, no, no, they're not full babies until they're a year old," they wouldn't care that that was their perspective. They would want them to stop. Um, What's the most effective argument you've heard, or uh, when it comes to pro-life, pro-abortion? The most effective Sorry, in pro-life, each. Pro-choice. In each one? That's the one, the one that resonates with you the most because I've heard this conversation a ton and I, I don't think we're covering new ground that it's difficult to figure out. Um, yeah, it's just, just saying that it's hard. Um, okay, so what is what is the most effective argument that I've heard uh, pro-choice? I, that, that the things that we associate with being uh, human is not the word. A person are uh, a consciousness that we can recognize to some degree you know, a capacity to interact, love. Um, so the idea, because I've heard you say this, the idea of personhood. You know, uh, being bigger than two inches tall. You know, like that when, when, we to- when we create rules about how to treat people, that those are based on qualities that a fetus does not have. That's the most effective pro-choice thing. Furthermore, that that fetus is existing inside of someone who we definitely recognize as a person who has the right to their own bodily autonomy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the best pro-choice one. I meant just in general the arguments. To, uh, what's the best way to understand the argument? Which um, I am for. I mean, I think unfortunately that a lot of the pro-life people are religious, which to me is deeply not compelling. Um, uh, I do think that you can make a non-religious or a non, you know, uh, mainstream religion argument for it, which is, if I, 
where is the line? Is it the passing through the birth canal that now this this life matters? Is it six months? Well, what about five months and twenty nine days? And, so you and just hit him with arbitrary out, the the arbitrariness of. I guess if I were the pro life argument is look, there is uh, there is no clear moment where this thing snaps into personhood. Let's err on the side of caution and slide that back to as far as we can to the point where it has like literally it goes from having 23 fucking chromosomes in a sperm to 23 in an egg and they combine and they make whatever the 46 of a person like that's that's well some point. of the things and, that, and by the way i don't i'm not saying i agree with that yeah that sounds abstract because but some of the ways i've heard is that you can't determine the moment it's a person is because some of the things they talk about is viability and that the fetus isn't viable till a certain age. And then you've, I've heard other people say you included like, can a two-year-old or a one-year-old fend for itself? How viable <laughs> are they out on their own? No, yeah. they need their mother and father themselves. So I, no, and viability is always moving based um, on technology. Yeah. So that's, that's where I was just adding some more context to the idea that uh, personhood is a sliding scale. Yeah. Um, got it. So those two arguments. Well, so Yeah. My my understanding is that um, when we think about what we value in terms of people, that there is a sliding scale, and it's um, it's this is people might not like this. It is related to when we think of okay, like there's uh, two forty year old men. One has absolutely no attachments in the world. One has a family and a thing. Like wh- which one we have to kill? One. Which one do we do, and why? Mm. Um, and I and I ask that question in order to tease out what makes a life valuable what makes a person worthy of uh moral consideration i think there is a baseline you don't want to kill there there seems to be this baseline of like we don't kill people we don't know what a person is but we just don't do it um and then there is also this like is this creature loving is this creature loved um and i think that we sort of have that with pets which is well these things don't have human dna or anything like that but uh we have exceptions for them and we treat them as people who are worthy of moral consideration because of the connection and the love that they share. I think unfortunately that is not applied to mammals more broadly, which is why a lot of people um, eat meat. But um, that, so from that place of asking what is it that makes a person a person and sort of landing somewhere in the idea that is a conscious experience capacity to love and be loved and the actuality of loving and being loved and then i go back and ask okay what should we do with abortion i land on i don't have a good answer but first trimester allowed seems reasonable to me while acknowledging there's nothing clean about that mm-hmm. um thing and then of course you've got these competing um rights in the case of the health of the mother which is as it gets deeper and deeper into a pregnancy, if the mother's life is threatened, you're, it's not just one person versus one person. It is the sliding scale of personhood, and I would put the mother generally higher yeah. unless she makes the election to put herself lower and you know yeah. take, take that risk. But I don't want to be in charge of that law. So. Yeah, me either. Me either. <laughs> I don't want. One more thing which I recalled from the J.K. Rowling because I wrote it, was uh, there was a moment where the interviewer, who was uh, from the Westboro Baptist Church, and the reason that she did this whole thing is that she escaped the Westboro Baptist Church, and she's interested in 
how people have strongly held beliefs and how they can be more kind and compassionate and grow. And uh, there was a moment of vulnerability in this woman's conversation with ContraPoints when she shared her story of people on Twitter showing her grace when she was saying horrible things. Um, and she was, you know, picketing funerals of gay people and all that kind of stuff. And there were, she said that what got me out of it was the handful of people on Twitter who did not demonize me. And they spoke to me and they pointed out a few inconsistencies and they treated me with, the, her word is grace. Um, and that triggered in ContraPoints a moment of vulnerability, whereas before it was like, you know, discussion about trans stuff and there was fear. And that dropped a little bit to where uh, ContraPoints, Natalie cried a bit. And she, she said, you know, I just, uh, I want JK Rowling to step out of her bubble of fear. Um, and then there was a similar thing, not JK didn't cry, but at the end of their conversation, JK Rowling went back, or this woman goes back to England, speaks to JK Rowling, shares some of the stories, and then talked, uh, JK asked her a question about her Westboro Baptist experience. And as she shared that, you could hear Joe, JK, soften. A little bit um and it was very interesting that again i'm not saying that either of these are right or wrong but you have two sides that are deeply fearful of one another um perhaps justifiably so and you know jk rowling points to all the horrible things said to her on twitter and contrapoints points to all the horrible things said to her on twitter and they um are contrapoint seems fairly convinced that jk rowling is uh indirectly supporting all of these things and uh, it was powerful to see how the vulnerability created potential space for what could be healing between them, but that that would have had to have been a very, very slow process between people and not between opposing camps. Um, I don't like I don't think that that. I don't know how much healing is going to occur between the two of them because they didn't sit down and speak directly to one another. Yeah. But I got the very strong impression that if they had, there could have been real movement. Uh, and I was just struck by how slow that needs to be because both people need to feel safe and it takes time to feel safe around someone that you believe is out or has you. harmed you or can harm you or is indirectly harming you and is persisting in that. Um, so I don't know how to use these tools of like mass communication to, I guess they have in some ways to bridge divides. I get, this is sort of a cliched question, but like we talk about how social media Splits people. polarizes people, but I, I wonder if there's a adjustment to it or the algorithm or the way or to make a new platform that didn't have that yes it's called the lex freeman podcast it's called the lex freeman podcast and he just doing with love, love. And <laughs> compassion and yeah understanding um it takes <laughs> it takes a tremendous amount of slowness and patience and yeah. it doesn't pay off immediately and maybe it never pays off and maybe it can't be done at scale i don't know i one of the things i should learn about is the um I don't know if it worked, but in South Africa, after apartheid, they had, like, Nelson Mandela got out of jail, and he did this, like, reconciliation stuff, which I don't know a ton about if it was successful, if it worked, but I know that they tried to figure out how to heal the wounds of people. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know anything about it's it. It's like, how do you do that at scale? How do you how do you create uh, structures, systems of people 
who I listened on both sides. I was like, these people would be okay together in the same room. Nobody would hurt anybody else. Um, they could listen, they could talk, but uh, we'll grow farther apart from one another if you pit them on opposite sides of, of a Twitter mob. Like they will, they can learn to, lo- to, to loathe each other. Yeah. Um, it's also interesting that uh, I think that happens a lot in the Twitch space, which is these, these people that- What if prom- they find a common enemy? We need the aliens. This is Ozymandias from The Watchman. Yes. <laughs> we need the aliens. This was, uh, well, this is China, right? This is China. the TikTok thing. It's the first time Democrats and Republicans could agree on anything. Spyware. Is Except that- for all the TikTokers are dancing and protesting <laughs> on TikTok, trying to get it. That was, that was a mildly interesting thing that I shared with you, is that um, when I listened to people above the age of 35 on, about the TikTok thing like the all in podcast yeah i'm on a tiktok so i got both sides pretty pretty good crazy uh people above the age of 35 i don't know the guy's name thought that he uh the ceo of tiktok who came to say what was going on and to sort of defend it from being kicked out of the u.s or forced to divest um they thought he shat the bed like the all in podcast like oh it's over like when he couldn't clearly answer the question of did you have you interacted with ccp officials as a clear and concise no it was over that was that was the very beginning um, and then I heard from a girlfriend who was, you know, on TikTok and she's like, oh my God, did you see how dumb this guy is? And she shows me all of these clips where I was like, he doesn't look dumb here. It's these senators going, well, what's, what's going on with the Wi-Fi? Uh, can TikTok connect to the Wi-Fi? Yeah. And they're laughing at it, but like his question was reasonable, which is, can it connect to the Wi-Fi? Which was an establishing question to say, can it access other devices on the Wi-Fi network? Which is, is it reading from the other Wi-Fi? One of the other ones that they were laughing at is, is TikTok looking at my pupils dilating, which is. Okay, it's a good, it's maybe, who knows? There's a front-facing camera. Mm-hmm. Um, guy's not going to tell you if it is, but he seemed incredulous. He's like, are you telling me that it's not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, both sides having vastly different arguments. Two people looking at the same, same thing. exact thing um, and seeing something totally different and then echoing it. And There's uh, one other thing that was occurring in the TikTok pro community, pro TikTok, um, was that... There was this new narrative that Meta, Facebook and Instagram, YouTube and Google actually were behind the masterminds behind the scenes because they were afraid of the um, revenue TikTok was generating, which was also like another, not a nuanced perspective on what's occurring. This is what's beautiful. Here's the coolest thing is that like, it's so obvious that the truth seeking apparatus is, doesn't exist. There is a... There, I don't know that there is a truth-seeking apparatus in in our, our in our kit, or if it's just very very subtle. But like, that is so indicative of what happened first was a need to defend TikTok from the TikTok people, and what came second was an explanation. Uh, maybe true, maybe not. But I can also pretty confidently say that people against TikTok or don't care, apathetic to it read one Reddit article where they heard TikTok was Chinese spyware and mm-hmm. the guy back created it yeah. uh, to find out that it was just reading all your information and sending it in places it shouldn't have been. And people have just repeated that and with no knowledge of if even that's true. Yes. Like a 400-word post on the internet went They didn't viral. read the 400 words. They read, they read the 16. They read the title. Yeah. And, and so, that's me, to be yes. clear. Uh, and so all that I can sit is an, I don't fucking know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's where I'm at. I'm cool with it not being on government phones. I'm so cool with not getting a vote because yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I uh, have, 
Well, that's a government. They want to not put it on government phones. Okay, you should probably delete all the apps. Make the governments do government jobs. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, the the different perspectives on it based on the different what they want the outcome to be is incredibly powerful. You see the same thing with like there was just the shooting and this person may have been trans identifying or who knows and the expected pundits come down exactly where they need to and if whether this was trans motivated or absolutely not but um, when it's when you know the type of person who thinks it's you know there's no reason to believe it's trans motivated would absolutely may have been very certain that the guy who who shot up the um, nail salons was absolutely anti-Asian, despite the fact that three of the people that he killed were not Asian and he had no indication that he was trying to get Asian people, but instead was going after sex work. Like, yeah, that, once again, people wearing their... That what biases. happens first is a group affiliation and a thing that helps you survive, and what happens second is a story about that that need not be evenly applied in different situations and you're uh, in the camp of seeing those stories and i'm the truth guy <laughs> <laughs> um i am curious because i do think that well this is an interesting like there's a good reason that that exists because the truth sucks um the subtlety the complexity of it the fact that it can get you kicked out of the group affiliation that you have which is so fun comfortable and potentially key to your survival um. Yeah, that's truth. Truth sucks in that it, it's just not one hundred percent compatible with survival and uh, happiness. But there's something about it <laughs> that is compelling. When I've gotten rough truths in my life, um, and struggled, the pain has been uh reason like so immense that I understand why I couldn't get over it for years and then when I've gotten on the downside of it has been a tremendous relief to have a more honest understanding of what is whether it's what is going on in me in the world etc yeah um yeah it's that temporary excruciating pain of and luckily none of the truths that I have found had led to they haven't ended the game I'm not dead but there are like if you were in, I don't know, like a authoritarian regime and speaking or learning the truth could actually get you your head cut off, like that pursuit of truth could just end the game. Yeah. Um, so I'm lucky that that hasn't happened yet, but maybe it will. Uh, yeah, so I think that's it. There's a lot that I'm going to share about what I learned this week in uh, the Dungeons & Dragons show on Patreon. I talk about in-depth what I've learned, and we answer particular questions from you guys. If you want to check that out, please do so. Patreon is it's our primary source of funding, and we appreciate all of you who sign up. So I hope that you guys do that. Also, if you want to check out the D&D show, link in the description. Uh, it came out really, really good. I'm very happy with the initial results. And of course, I'm going to talk more about it in the Patreon. Episode one is up. Episode two, four days after to, uh, this two drops. Two days, three days after this drops. Yeah. Let's go. Cool. Appreciate you guys. Peace. Peace.